Welcome to episode 39 of The Process. Raise the bar. Thank you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. Change on me if you knew the truth Knowing I ain't the same person that was introduced Thank the Lord cause I don't look like what I've been through Here's a letter to you I'm back again Jesus on that cross I had to rise again Time to get my blessings, time to get my blessings I had to live my life, I had to learn my lessons I had to keep that smile but deep inside I'm stressing Just trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression Welcome to episode 39 of The Process. I am Omonte Martin. Uh, today we have attorney Joseph Gallardo on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, attorney Joseph. Thanks, Omonte. I appreciate y'all having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, can you just tell the listeners where you're from? Yeah, I'm from uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, mainly the southeast and northeast side of San Antonio. What was it like growing up there? Yeah, I think each person's experience is unique. Uh, San Antonio has been consistently the most economically segregated city in the United States. Um, so you can grow up on one block and really feel the struggle, but you can look across the street and see some places that appear to be kind of, you know, living it up. Um, for me, though, it was, it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, I love San Antonio. Uh, my friends are there. All my family is there. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs are there. Um, the, the city's not without its problems, but it's played a big role in shaping who I am today, um, and I love it. Wow, San Antonio, Texas. I haven't been there myself. Um, so what was it? What did you always know you wanted to be an attorney or a lawyer? No, it seemed, it seemed kind of like a far-fetched dream for uh, kind of a long time. Uh, the idea of me going to law school or really any college uh, for most of my life would have seemed kind of laughable probably to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I kind of enrolled in college and whatnot, it seemed to be more feasible. And then combining kind of my experiences growing up in San Antonio um, with my education, it started becoming clear that being a lawyer is what I want to do. So, so how was your journey, uh, let's say, through college? How did you identify, you know, this is what you wanted to do in college? Yeah, that was, you know, it, I, I was without a lot of guidance going into college. Um, I went in not knowing what I wanted to major in. I just wanted a degree. I probably switched my major about 10, 12 times or something like that. Um, but, you know, I was really just trying to learn stuff for the first time. Um, I mean, long story short, it took me six years to graduate um, high school and I graduated second class in my class. I was number 428 out of 429. Um, I even dropped out for a semester. Um, and I really didn't learn much in elementary, middle school or high school. Uh, so going to college, it wasn't so much about what I want to be in my future. It was more about trying to keep up with all the coursework. Uh, that was kind of overwhelming for someone like me who, you know, this was all, this was all new to someone like me. 
so you dropped out. Um, let's get back to that. You know, what was that experience like for you? Dropping out didn't feel like a big deal to me, to be honest with you. It wasn't some kind of monumental decision. Uh, it was kind of, you know, I'm not going to school anyway. Um, I'm sleeping till about noon, waking up and then living my life. So like, why am I even in? Because I mean, basically what happened was my mom, uh, you know, got summoned to go to court and tell the court why I wasn't showing up. And she was in some kind of legal trouble for it. Uh, and basically my, I kind of logic my way through it and said like, why not just drop out? Uh, then, then she doesn't get in trouble and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, but it didn't feel like a big deal, right? Like, you know, a lot of people who lived around me had dropped out anyway. So it was kind of the norm around there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was just kind of chilling. Uh, it worked for me. You say your experiences um, in life influence your law school decision. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, so, you know, we moved around quite a bit growing up. Um, I, I transitioned between five different high schools, uh, but it wasn't just like one, two, three, four, five. I like ping pong between them all at least maybe one to two dozen times, maybe. Um, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with kind of, the you know, the kind of uh, the laws that we grew up uh, that shaped our lives. Uh, and I didn't see it in the moment, right? I thought we just kind of, I thought that's how everyone lived. But at some point in my life, I realized uh, this is maybe unique or not unique, but you know, something that needs to be fixed. And once I started learning more, I started combining it with like my practical experience in the world. And I realized like in light of that fact, um, the best path for me might be something like to learn the law and try to combine my practical experience to hopefully make that system better. So other people don't have to suffer through the same kind of uh, experiences. You know, being a high school dropout um, and then enrolling into community college and then thereafter Texas, University of Texas. You know, how did that feel, you know, being a high school dropout in the classroom, having to interact with individuals who, you know, this is their route that they, they took from high school to college. Yeah, I mean, it was, I felt, I, I'll tell you, when I arrived on the UT Austin campus, um, I felt extremely intimidated. I walked around there thinking that everyone was like, the smartest person in the world. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of imposter syndrome. Um, that was very real for me. Everywhere I went, I, I just wanted to hide that fact, right? I want everyone to think like, oh no, I belong here, I belong here. Uh, because it took me a while to kind of accept that I believe for myself that I actually belong there. Um, and it just took a while, right? It took probably like a month or a semester or two semesters for me to be like, oh, okay, kind of gain my footing to get good grades in classes, uh, to get compliments from the professors and whatnot. That kind of finally started making me feel like, oh yeah, I belong at this institution and I can actually like not only get through, but excel in this institution. Um, but it was a, it was a challenge. It, I, I, there are so many times I felt like giving up and like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. They really made a mistake. I, I gave a speech at graduation where I joked about uh, the admissions committee um, probably making a mistake, uh, <laughs> accepting me that I, I made a joke about like the, you know, my, my application kind of flying from the denial pile. Um, into the acceptance file because there's no way they actually accepted me with good reason. Um, uh, but it was hard. It was hard. It's just a big challenge, and I just kind of stuck through it, and it ended up working out. I can I can definitely relate with that. Um, as I was telling you prior to this, I, I got my GED and I went to Florida A&M University, and then I went for my master's to Purdue University. And I'm just thinking, you know, how did I get here? Uh, do I belong? Um, yeah. I just felt like everyone's so much smarter. And yeah, I, I just totally relate with that experience. 
it sucks, right? Because like so many of those students who are walking around don't feel that pressure, right? Yeah. So when the professor calls on you or when you're like wanting to raise your hand and ask a question, uh, you feel this unique pressure, or, like you represent something like, oh, I have this baggage with me and maybe what I say is gonna be something that they kind of identify as like, oh, this person doesn't belong here. Um, and it's just like, that's a baggage that other people don't carry around. And when they don't have to carry that around, they are therefore more able to excel at that institution because they don't have that monkey on their back. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it sucks, man. But uh, I guess what I'll say is congratulations to you because I, I know that feeling, I know that pressure uh, and to persevere through it is, it's, you know, it's no small accomplishment. Thank you. I appreciate it. Even, even now, just thinking, you know, even now being, so I went to Purdue and now I'm at the University of Florida. And I still sometimes, you know, because it's one thing when you first get there and, and your grades don't reflect your performance. But then when your grades start to reflect the hard, reflect the hard work you put in, it's still that, that mental game playing with yourself. Yeah. Um, so I totally agree. You, you mentioned that you didn't learn much in, in grade school. But what was that transition like going from grade school to uh, community college? Oh, I, I think I went into community college on like a fourth grade level across the board, right? In, in everything, in writing, in history, in government. Um, I, it, it's hard to overemphasize just how little I knew going into college. Mm -hmm. uh, even community college, I, I talked about UT Austin and feeling intimidated there, but the truth is I went to community college feeling like, oh, I wonder if everyone here knows that I'm an imposter and that I don't belong here. I, I remember thinking when I registered, uh, if they saw my high school transcript, they're not going to accept me and being super surprised whenever they actually did. Um, and again, it's community college, right? You don't expect to get denied from community colleges, but um, that was probably one of the toughest challenges of my life because I had to make a very real decision that um, I am so far behind just about probably everyone else who is here on this campus. Um, and that I'm going to persevere through it. I'm going to catch up and hopefully, you know, still get that A and, and try to do something um, big and important with my life. Uh, but it was, it was hard. I mean, <laughs> I, I think there I had friends who would finish an assignment in about an hour. That same assignment I'd spend about eight, nine hours on uh, to get the same grade as them. And, and it just kind of took a while for me to catch up with them and then eventually surpass them. And for no other reason, I'm not like a super smart guy, obviously. Uh, I am, I'm just a very hard worker and that allowed me to um, go on and do bigger and better things. Well, it's, it's so many processes as, as the podcast is called that, mm -hmm. or processes that we can talk about. It's one of them that you kind of highlighted um, that I just thought about is that not only did you have this imposter syndrome going into it and you had to kind of quickly elevate your learning in a sense, but could you talk about the courage it took just to apply like just to say, you know what, I'm going to apply. If they accept me, they accept me. If they don't, they don't. You're saying to UT Austin? To, to both, either community college, just to take that first step to say, you know, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the truth is I, I, went, to, I went to Palo Alto College in San Antonio, the community college, uh, because I learned that they had a basketball team and I really wanted to hoop again. Um, <laughs> uh, in a minute since I like hooped on an actual kind of team where you have like actual refs and not people just calling fouls in the gym. Uh, and that's kind of why I went back. But long story short, what happened to me in high school was I was hooping then and my grades were so low that I was like unable uh, to play. Mm -hmm. um, and the coaches tried to help me out as they do. Uh, they'll tell the teachers like, hey, you know, you got to give this guy a passing grade. Uh, but I wouldn't show up, right? So they talked to, you know, they'd come back and talk to me and say, hey, you gotta at least show up and act like you care. Uh, 
Uh, so long story short, like eventually I was academically expelled from playing basketball. Um, and then I found out that Palo Alto College had a team. I wanted to go there. Um, and when I told my mom uh, that I wanted to go uh, back to college, that I wanted to go to Palo Alto College, uh, <laughs> she she looked at me and she, she kind of like gave me a big sigh and said, like Joseph, please, please just don't let it, just don't let it be like high school again. Why don't you just join the military or something? Mm-hmm. Um, and and to put that in context, my mom is somebody who has, for all of her life, for all time, she has believed in me and whatever I say I do. I used to tell her, Mom, I'm going to the NBA. Mom, I'm going to the Olympics. And she would say it without any hesitation and and like with a serious face, like she actually believed it. Like, oh, I cannot wait to watch you. It's going to be so great. Um, <laughs> but for the first time in her life, when I told her about college, she was like, oh, shoot, like this is uh, this is bad. <laughs> Please stop, stop hurting me in this way. Um, and when she did that, I, I really felt this kind of spark of motivation and this feeling of, damn, like I, I must have really hurt you if this is how you're reacting to me saying this. Um, and I want to show you that. Um, things are different this time and I want to you know make you proud uh, so that that was kind of that was my why that allowed me to get through all of the challenges that came with being so far behind everyone else when I started community college um, and especially UT Austin wow that's powerful because not only were you doing it for yourself you know to, to have a better future and, and to do the things that you want to do but you're also doing it for your mom yeah I want to I want to talk more about the like imposter syndrome because I think a lot of individuals, especially in the, in the professional schooling setting, um, deal with this. Um, what are some examples of how you went through imposter syndrome and how did you, you know, get through that? Oh, man, I can. Uh, <laughs> I remember the first time when I, I was in a, uh, an English class at Palo Alto. I can probably give you one from each institution, Palo Alto College, UT Austin and Harvard Law School. Uh, at, at Palo Alto College, I uh, the teacher asked, our English teacher asked somebody for a volunteer to give up and give kind of speech on the essay they had written on some book we, uh, that we had read. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Like, no big deal. I had never given a speech before in that way. I was like, yeah, sure, like, I could do that. I feel like I wrote a pretty decent essay. And I got up there and my legs started shaking. I started sweating. <laughs> I, was, I was short of breath. I couldn't breathe. I was like, what is this feeling? Uh, but the truth is I like looked out into the class and I was like, oh, I don't belong here. No one wants to hear me talking right now. Uh, right? They're like, wow. Like I started having feelings like we're not getting paid to listen to you talk. We're getting paid or like we're not paying to listen to you talk. Um, we are paying to listen to the professor talk. Please get out of our face. Uh, and it was this like strong feeling of you don't belong here. Not, not a lack of confidence in what I wanted to say, but a feeling of they don't want to hear me talk. Because um, like, you know, you don't belong here and they probably know it too. Um, and then UT Austin, it was like right as I stepped on campus, um, I looked around and felt like, I bet you everyone here could probably be the next president of the United States or something. They're probably the smartest people in the world. Um, and just feeling like I didn't belong there probably for the first year that I was there. Mm-hmm. And then Harvard Law School, the first time I ever got cold called in a class, my civil procedure class, I kind of, to be honest with you, I felt like the weight of my race on my back, right? It was like, you know, a bunch of, if I'm being honest, a bunch of white students looking at me thinking like, oh, you got in because of affirmative action. Um, you know, you don't belong here and I bet you're about to show it, right? Uh, and it's not just, it, that's not just carrying myself and my own kind of reputation or whatever on my back. That is carrying the weight of my race on my back. And if I blow it, um, I will affirm their beliefs that I indeed do not belong there. Um, and that that felt like a heavy burden. And that probably stayed with me, I'd say probably through my first two years at Harvard Law School. 
uh, and it got better in my third one. And, and now I just kind of look back and be like, um, you know, it sucks that people really have to go through that. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, non-white folks probably have to feel that way whenever they're sitting in classrooms like that. Oh man, you just hit a soft spot, man. I went through the same thing at Purdue. Yeah. I'll never forget um, my first semester, probably midway through the semester, we had to do uh, article reviews. And mind you, this is the first time I've ever seen a research article. But I read it, I knew what it was about. And all we had to do was give like a five to 10 minute, not even 10 minute, you know, review of the article, what he was talking about, or the findings, you know, just breaking down research. And I got out there confidently. And like you said, man, I, <laughs> butterflies, cotton mouth, just everything. Just, oh man, it was just the worst presentation I ever gave. I just remember saying, oh, 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 a lot. And my professor's looking at me like, what is he doing up there? <laughs> yeah, I just felt so embarrassed. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I can totally identify with that. <laughs> uh, how did the type of law you practice uh, today, is it relevant to your, your, experience, your life experience? So, so right now I'm not out, you know, like practicing filing lawsuits and whatnot. I'm actually teaching at a law school. I just finished teaching my first semester. Uh, I graduated in 2019. Um, oh, congratulations. As you know, law school. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so just, just uh, May 2019, I graduated. Uh, and then I just taught my first semester of, um, uh, you know, law school classes this last semester. And I was teaching legal research and writing, you know, like how to kind of think like a lawyer, how to write like a lawyer, how to communicate like a lawyer and whatnot. Um, and I actually think that is kind of, you know, it's maybe non-responsive to your question on some level, but I think that is related uh, to how I grew up because the way I approached this semester in teaching these uh, these students that I was that, that were assigned to me was, um, I know how hard it is to learn this new way of thinking, this new way of writing, because the law is very different from what most people experience in their lives and their writing and thinking styles. Um, I, I approached it in a very kind of like, I will be here at all times if you ever want help. But my, you know, my ask of you is that you put in the work. If you don't make excuses, you put your head down and you kind of, you know, you get it done. And you don't come to me griping when you get a grade you don't like. Um, come to me asking me how you can be better. And to the extent that you ever want to be better, I will show up on Saturdays, I will show up on Sundays, um, and I will be here to help you out in any way as long as you want to be better. And that is, you know, that kind of approach to my teaching has been shaped by uh, my experiences, remembering what it felt like to not know what the hell was going on in class. Um, and, uh, and understanding that sometimes, you know, even though I feel like I communicate a lecture very effectively and clearly, that is another student could leave and be like, I don't know what the hell was going on in that class, what we were supposed to learn. Um, so wanting to be there for them. And, and the reason I can do that and feel uh, like I'm not doing the most is because um, I know what it feels like to be that student. And I wanted to kind of be there for any students that might be feeling the same way. Wow, that's awesome. My, uh, my wife actually just graduated from law school in, in May also. Nice. So, but she, she's always telling me about how critical it is to learn how to research and write and how it's so significant in law school. Mm -hmm. um, what was that journey like to you know hone in on that skill set? It's funny, that's a student I like, that's a story I like to tell my students. Um, you know, like I told you earlier, I, I didn't have a lot of knowledge of you know how to write. I, I could probably write a whole paragraph that's more than a page long without one single period. <laughs> I'm doing any kind of run on sentence for most of my life. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't until right before law school that I started feeling like, oh, actually, I think I know how to write. I know how to structure a sentence, a paragraph and even a paper. And right as I felt like I got a grip on that, like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. 
I got to law school and they were like, by the way, everything you've learned about writing, you can pretty much throw it out the window. Because <laughs> um, it's a very different way of writing. Um, but, you know, I, I'll say that my life, kind of like my life experiences to that point really helped me out. I didn't kind of hang my head in shame. I was like, okay, another challenge, another thing to learn uh, that I will be better for at the end of the day for having learned. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people were just like, oh, I hate this way of writing, it doesn't make sense. And for me, I was like, it's all right. Like, you know, I've, I've spent the last four or five years of my life learning a whole bunch of things from scratch. And, you know, it's not that big a deal to add one more on top of that list. I jumped jump right into law school, but I want to, to kind of take it back a little bit. And, and what was it like when you applied to Harvard? You know, because when you think of Harvard, Yale, these schools, you think of the elite of the elite. And yeah. so taking that jump from community college to University of Texas, then to Harvard, you know, what was that like? What was that whole process like for you? Yeah, so I, I actually, I did pretty well at UT Austin. And that's, again, just to repeat, it's not because I'm a smart guy. I, I don't think of myself as a very smart guy. I think of myself as someone very thirsty for knowledge, um, someone who works very hard. Um, and because of that, I was able to do well at UT Austin. I finished with a pretty decent GPA. Um, and then there's a test that, as I'm sure you know, because your wife went to law school, a test called the LSAT um, that I also did pretty well on. So Harvard Law School started seeming like a kind of feasible, you know, I could pro I could maybe go there one day, um, mm -hmm. but it still felt like this like dream, right? Like there's no way, um, there's no way someone, you know, there's no way I could go to Harvard Law School. I remember talking to a quote unquote friend of mine in, in undergrad who also wanted to go to law school. Uh, and I said that I was gonna apply to Harvard I mean, his response was, they, they would never take someone like you. Wow. Uh, with a straight face, right? Like, no smile or, nah, just playing. Like, you belong there. It was like, you know, stop stop tripping. Why are you wasting your time? They would never take someone like you. Um, uh, so, you know, things like that stay in your mind, not as a, not as a deterrent, but as a motivator, right? Like, okay, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. we'll see about that. Um, but, you know, I applied. I remember the day I got accepted. Um, it was... It was an emotional day. Uh, I had called my mom. I was in DC at the time working. She was, my mom was in San Antonio. Um, and I told her, I told her that I had been accepted and she was at a restaurant and she broke down crying. Uh, I think people oh. in the restaurant that she was at, you know, they were wondering like, oh no, I wonder what's wrong. Is everything okay? Uh, and I mean, if I'm being honest, like I started crying too, hearing my mom cry. I was like, man, like, wow, what a day, right? Like this is, this is kind of like a, peak moment for me in this journey from like, you know, where I started wanting to go to Palo Alto College to play basketball to like now I'm accepted to Harvard Law School. It's like, you know, what is life? What is happening? Is this oh, really wow. life? <laughs> Living the dream. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy because I had a couple of Navy SEALs on the podcast recently. And they, you know, they like side notes, we talked about that feeling of a of telling yourself you want to be a Navy SEAL and you tell those around you that, you know, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL and they look at you like, man, you know you know what it takes to be a Navy SEAL? <laughs> like, are you sure that's what you want to do? I don't think yeah. you can do it. But just to turn that into fuel, to fuel, you know, your progression through and turning that dream into reality, man. Like, what was it like? Because I know at that point you were so just so elated and so happy. But taking it into the classroom, like what was it like you know, walking around campus and like, wow, I'm actually here at Harvard? Yeah, that, that I mean, you know, the feeling I told you about UT Austin walking around, feeling like, well, these are the smartest people in the world. Uh, you get to Harvard Law School and you really feel that, you know, it's 
it's not it's not this kind of like I just don't belong here thing it's like no literally I think they're the smartest people in the world uh, turns out they're not you know so <laughs> a lot of people at Harvard Law School not that bright uh, uh, but I mean it, it I'll say though my, my three years there uh, it felt surreal uh, oftentimes I'd wake up feeling like you know is this really my life uh, it, it sometimes it felt like a dream it felt like you know one day I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna be right back to my old life, you know, pre going to uh, community college. Uh, before I went to community college, I washed dishes. I washed dishes and, and, and did some waitering for a while. Um, and it kind of felt like sometimes I was waiting for that life to come back. I didn't want to get too attached to the life I was living um, at that point because, you know, then it would feel so, you know, it would hurt, it would kind of hurt, right? If you ever go back to where you were before and realize like, yeah, you never did that. That was just one long, nice, uh, very good to think about dream. Um, but look, I mean, Harvard Law School is not without its flaws, to be honest. I, uh, I have a lot of critiques of Harvard Law School, but in terms of like the ability to go there and, and to get that degree and to move on from there and to walk around the rest of my life saying like, yeah, I did that. Um, it means a lot to me, and perhaps more importantly, it means it means a lot to my family. I have, I have an 11 year old sister um, who talks about like all she ever talks to me about kind of is you know, Jay, my brother, he went to Harvard Law School, and I want to go there one day too. Uh, oh, wow. Kind of raise the bar for them and make them want to do more with their lives, and I don't think there's anything more important than doing that. Wow, yeah, that that totally changed the mindset when you see someone who you know has done it. Um, yeah, wow. Um, I want to talk more about, you know, honing in on your skill set um, when you're talking about research and writing. Um, what other types of practice, you know, moot core or, or clerking or anything like that help you hone in on those skill sets? Yeah, so I mean, right right after law school, you know, I went straight, I came straight here uh, to teach um, to the law school to teach a, teach a class. So I didn't do any clerking or anything like that. What I could tell you is, is I just put in a lot of work I, I, and it was like to other people it was like whoa we have to like learn all this stuff and it takes all this work to learn this new way to write and this is bs and we don't want to do this and for me i was like oh this is pretty standard for me like going into something not knowing how to do it and learning it from scratch um and it's even better now right because I, I have an instructor telling me how to do it whereas normally i'm researching on google uh, and letting google tell me how to do it um it, ju it just didn't it didn't feel like this big process for me. I was like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. And my professor always told me, uh, like your wife tells you, um, you know, legal research and writing, there is no more important skill you can have in the legal profession. Um, and I took that seriously. Um, so I put in a lot of work. Uh, I would I would sit there, I'd practice, I'd read, I would try to figure out how to be better. And, and now I'm fortunate to say I am, I am teaching other first year law students how to do it. Um, and I, I think I do a pretty decent job of it. You still struggle with um, some level of imposter syndrome, and the reason I ask is, as I told you, you know, I got my GED, and last semester was my first semester of TAing um, and having mm -hmm. to teach a couple classes, and so you know that being in the back of my mind, like I, I didn't even get here undergrad, yeah. like these undergrads yeah. were smarter than me, and now I have to teach them. You know, like, <laughs> like how was how was that? Mm -hmm. How did that process? You know, I, that, that is, uh, you know, that resonates in a big way for me coming into this last semester. Uh, I know I went into my first class and it's like two things, right? It's like one, uh, I am Latino. Uh, two, uh, I, I guess kind of as an extension of one, I am not white, which I think is like a mark on you for a lot of students. 
Uh, and three, I'm pretty young, right? At least if nothing else, I am young looking. Um, and I think that uh, I went into this last semester being like, I wonder if they're gonna respect me. I wonder if they're gonna listen to me. And I'll tell you, before I went into every class, literally every class, I sat there and wondered, um, I wonder if they'll show up today. I wonder if they'll show up today or if I'm gonna walk into class and no one is going to be there. Every class. Uh, fortunately, I don't think I had a student miss a single class all semester. Um, but regardless, regardless of how the last class went, uh, whether it was great or bad, um, every time I went in there, I was thinking, I bet they don't show up today. They're gonna like catch on to this facade that, you know, we're wasting our time coming here or something like that. Uh, and now, and then I got through the semester and, and, you know, students came up to me, they came to my office after class and you know, some of them cried and said, this is the best, most helpful class and all these things. And, and, and even despite having had that reaction to my first semester of teaching, uh, I'm now thinking about going into my second semester and like preparing those materials um, and thinking like the same thing, right? Like, oh, I wonder if they're gonna realize that I am a fraud. I wonder if they're gonna realize that I'm a fraud. And the same suspicions I'm sure will come up once I start teaching uh, before every class, I'm gonna wonder, will they show up, will they show up? Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's an interesting question you ask because I'm, I'm really curious to know, will that ever go away or is that something I'm just gonna deal with for the rest of my life? <laughs> it's interesting. It is. I, I think. I think it's good and bad, though. I think it's uh, one of those things that will keep you on your toes, mm -hmm. um, and it, 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 it ensure that you're always prepared. Yeah. But on the other side, it's still like this mental game. It's like you are good enough. You 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 know what I mean? It's it's, it, it's a tricky. One. <laughs> no, that's so that's so real. What you said, right? It keeps you on your toes. It makes you be twice as prepared um yeah that is so real yeah i know that struggle or i've seen the struggle you know my wife and other law students is that once you graduate and finding that opportunity was this like the opportunity that that, that you sought after that you wanted or are you looking to practice later on yeah so i i never anticipated teaching um this just kind of uh was raised you know kind of came out of nowhere uh, and you know i was in courage to apply and I, I just threw my application out there again kind of relating back to this idea of imposter syndrome I was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw my application out there obviously there's no way they accept me um, I'd be I'd be like crazy to actually get my hopes up uh, but why not right and why not just kind of like throw the reel out and hope something bites yeah. uh, and I did and you know I was I was fortunate to get this job but um, I think you know I just signed a one I just kind of one year extension to stay here for another year to keep teaching uh, but I think after that, at some point, I like to go out uh, and then do some actual law practice and, and particularly uh, related to, uh, you know, criminal procedure and, and police brutality and uh, the general way in which police operate, where they have no checks on anything or anything at all that they do. Um, and I'm kind of itching to get out there and, and to do some work on that front. Um, but 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 in the meantime, while I'm here at this law school and I'm teaching, um, I feel very lucky. I, I really do think that this might be the best job uh, for me in the world. So, wow! So you may be a ten-year professor here. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be nice. <laughs> I was gonna. Uh, so, what advice would you give someone who, you know, maybe struggling with imposter syndrome or you know doubting themselves while going through that their own process? Yeah, at, you know, as it relates to the imposter syndrome, <laughs> I mean, the kind of basic high-level point is like. If you're suffering, you know, if, if imposter syndrome is a problem for you, 
I bet you've done more than anyone and everyone else, you know, has done to get to that same spot, right? A lot of people kind of go to school, they go home, they have their private tutors, they have their piano tutors, and you know, like all these things, like I, I bet you didn't have that if you have imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, and you have done more, you have done more on your own, you have figured it out on your own, or with like minimal help, at least as compared to other people. Um, and no one deserves to be there more than you because you have put in twice, just because your grades might not reflect it, even if your grades don't kind of stack up to some of the other people who did have all these advantages, um, that doesn't mean you're less, like that. that is what the system, the system tells you the grades are more important. But in reality, you have done twice as much stuff as a lot of these other people and no one deserves to be there more than you. And I suffered with imposter syndrome for so long uh, and it wasn't until I kind of stepped back and be like, okay, you know, my metric for gauging whether I belong here is my GPA, did I go, uh, and also, like, did I go to, like, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Princeton? No, I went to UT Austin and, and Palo Alto College, right? Uh, so, like, the very fact that I went to, like, lesser schools as in the minds of some of those people um, told me I don't belong here uh, and I am lucky to be here. And then you step back and you're like, no, 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 let me let me use my own metric. Let me, let me look at my life experiences for what they have been. Um, and you realize, like, no. I put in more work than just about everyone else. You're damn right I belong. I, you're damn right I belong here. Um, and and to the other question you asked, right, about uh, just generally struggling to kind of make it uh, from like a low place into a place that they want to be. Um, I talked about it earlier when I said my mom. The basic thing is know your why, right? When times get hard, know why you are working so hard. Know why you want to accomplish this goal. Um, know why you shouldn't give up what what is in the background telling you like no i gotta persevere i gotta push through for me it was my mom uh for other people it could be money fame proving people wrong changing the world making it a better place it could be any of these things uh but you know the basic point is it just has to be real for you um and not just that it sounds good to others uh, if it's not real then it won't work right it has to be something that you really identify with and in the moments when you feel like giving up where can your mind go and say like nope I have a reason to not give up and and you know but for my mom there's no way that I am where I am today because she is the kind of guiding light that I was like you know I want to I want to prove to her that I can do this and make her proud uh, and if I didn't have that I just have no doubt at all I'm not sitting here talking to you today and you know I, I probably never go to college well that's powerful you have to know you why <laughs> yeah like you said, your white guys, everything. Uh, Especially in the most, you know, the, the most challenging moment. You have to have something that keeps you afloat. Right, right. So so our, our podcast is, you know, The Process Podcast. And the question that we ask all our guests is, what does trust the process mean to you? Trust the process. That's a good question. Uh, so, you know, I'll say it, it kind of reminds me I, I don't know if you're a Spurs fan. I doubt there are many Spurs fans in the world outside of San Antonio. Um, but it reminds me of, of a saying that the San Antonio Spurs, like their guiding principle, it's pound the rock. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I interpret that to mean uh, that your improvement may not always be obvious. You know, sometimes it can feel like you're working so hard and no returns at all. Uh, but success comes to those who put in the work and, you know, like you say, trust the process. Uh, and that's how I try to approach every day, put in the work and trust that at the end of the day, whether you see it or not, you are on some level better for it. Um, and to not get down on yourself, right? When things seem like, uh, when you're studying for an exam, just to give a kind of oversimplified example, when you're studying for an exam, it feels like you're not making any progress. 
because your you know your most recent practice test score doesn't show it it doesn't mean you're not seeing process it's just like you know it's part of the hiccup along the way and you know you you keep putting your head down and trying to do the most you can and be the best person you can be uh, at some point um, it'll all pay off it'll pay dividends and you just have to be patient and trust that your hard work will you know uh, pay dividends one day you're right you're right so looking at your you know yourself now as a attorney gallardo uh, what advice would you give Joseph, uh, your younger self? Hmm. Well, that's a hard question. I would say, I mean, look, it's kind of repetitive at this point, but you know, find, you know, what's your why? Find your motivation. You know, life can be hard. It'll beat you down if you let it. And one way I managed to really stick it out in the hardest time was knowing my why. Uh, without, without that, my life looks really different right now. Um, but I think that has been the most powerful thing for me. And maybe I guess just to add something to it, uh, I used to do a lot of motivational speaking. And one thing I would always say, I'd, get, I'd say like five points and I can't remember all of them right now, but one of them was the what's your why. And the other one was, uh, it's a quote by this guy named, I think his name's Jim Rohn. Uh, and it's, you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, and I really, really believe that. Um, I have spent some time at a younger age hanging out with people and I really did feel like I was on some level a reflection, you know, who I was was a reflection of the amount of time I was spending with them. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, um, I started hanging out with people who wanted more, who were ambitious, who wanted to go to law school, uh, people who had hopes of being the president of the United States. In fact, you know, one of my friends from college, uh, Jessica uh, Cisneros, uh, she's now running for Congress um, and they're they're asking whether or not she's the, the next uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, you know, hanging out with people like that, uh, it really gets me going. Um, and I, I do believe that people you spend the time with will end up shaping the kind of goals you have and the amount of work you're willing to put into something. Um, and I think that's important for anyone hoping to kind of, you know, turn things around. Do you have any lasting words you want to leave with the listeners? Yeah, uh, I, I'd just say thanks for taking the time to listen. Um, I really believe in the power of stories. Um, they their potential to affect change. Um, if you have a story you think is worth sharing, I'd, I'd contact uh, I'd contact this podcast for sure because it's important that we share it with others, um, you know, what we've gone through. And I think this is a great place to do it. Uh, you know, this podcast and, you know, the, everyone who's behind it doing a great job and an important work um, for kind of spreading these messages and making, realize, make, making other people realize and, and feel like they're not alone because they're not. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just really appreciate um, everything y'all are doing with taking the time to put these things together and put it out into the world and, and hopes of presumably making this world a better place. We appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, where could the listeners find you if they want to reach out to you, uh, either for motivation or just to reach out to ask about law school or anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I am, and I mean this with all sincerity, I'm so, I'd be so happy to receive emails if anyone, anyone wants to talk at all. Um, and it's a kind of long email address, but um, it is my name, J-G-A-L-L-A-R-D-O. Um, at jd19.law.harvard.edu. That's a very long email. Uh, and I have like four or five other ones, but they're all temporary. So that's probably the best place to reach me. This concludes episode 39 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And to like us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you. They're chanting, trust the process. <laughs> Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I 
and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people.